Amen. I'll invite you to turn your Bibles to John chapter 14. We've been teaching a series for the last number of weeks on the Holy Spirit. And uh, we've talked about several different aspects of the Holy Spirit. For the last several weeks, we've been talking about manifestations of the Spirit from 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And you may recall that verse 1, chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians verse 1 begins where Paul says, I'm quoting the King James, now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. But from the original Greek text, it reads a little bit differently. It reads like this, now concerning things pertaining to and of the Holy Ghost, brethren, I would not have you ignorant. And not everything in chapter 12 pertaining to the Holy Ghost is uh, manifestations of the Spirit. He talks about the body of Christ. He talks in um, uh, very minor detail about uh, different ministry gifts. So we know from that that God doesn't want us to be ignorant about the Holy Spirit. He doesn't want us to be ignorant about who he is, and he doesn't want us to be ignorant about what he does. Now, how did Paul find out? He's the one that gives us most of the information that we have on the Holy Spirit. How did he find out? Well, the Holy Spirit revealed himself and then inspired him to reveal to us what he found out himself. But when Jesus... On the last night that he's with his disciples at the Last Supper, when Jesus begins to tell the disciples about the Holy Spirit and what to expect, they're freaked out. They get so upset because he's telling them that he's going to leave them that hardly anything else that he said seems to register, at least from their actions after um, he's taken captive by the Roman soldiers. wouldn't indicate that they paid much attention to what he said and, and uh, um, well, and so forth. John chapter 14, verse 16, notice one of the things that he says about the Holy Spirit. He said, and I'll pray the Father and he shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever, verse 17, even the spirit whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but you know him for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. Now notice that phrase, he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. That indicates there's a twofold working of the Holy Spirit that Jesus is talking about. That indicates the Holy Spirit is going to live within us. But then there's a different work, a second work of the Holy Ghost. And that's dwelling with us. Now, if something's in you, we would assume that that becomes part of our character and nature. Anything in us is, it becomes us. Right? But with us denotes very much the same, the, what Jesus is saying here about the comforter. With us denotes a helper. Now here, in, in, we'll go a little bit further and back up a little bit. Notice verse 18, he said, I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Now he calls him the comforter. The word that's uh, used in the Greek is the word paraclete. And it means a lot more than just comforter. But let's talk about comforter first. Where he says, I will not leave you comfortless. That word comfortless really means orphans. So he's talking about relationship. He's talking about something having to do with the Holy Ghost on the inside of us that joins us to the Father God. Now notice verse 16 again. I will pray the Father and he'll give you another comforter. I'm going to read this from the Amplified translation because the Amplified brings out all these different names that paraclete really means. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another comforter. In parentheses, it says counselor, helper, intercessor, advocate, 
strengthener, and standby, that he may remain with you forever. Now, let me ask you a question, folks. If God doesn't want us comforted, why would he give us a comforter? If God doesn't want us to know the blessings and the benefit of the relationship that we have so that we are not orphans, then why would he give him to us? Same thing's true with the rest of these names. If God didn't want you to succeed, why would he give you a helper? It might be more interesting from his point of view to see who makes it and who doesn't on their own. But he gave us a comforter to ensure that we would succeed. He's not going to give us a helper to fail, is he? This word also means intercessor. Now, what is an intercessor? Most of the times people make a mistake, it seems to me, from my experience at least. People make a mistake by thinking intercession is just prayer. Now, there is a prayer of intercession. That prayer of intercession is where you begin to pray for someone that's lost and take their place and join them together with God. See, the believer, the Christian, is not separated from God, so there'd be no need for him to have, he would have no need of an intercessor. Now, intercessor really just means position. It means go between. It means one person between two. And here's uh, the simplest way that we can uh, explain that. If I introduce you to somebody you don't know, I've made intercession for you with them. Two people that I'm acquainted with but don't know each other. If I introduce them together, I join them together through my position of friendship or acquaintance or whatever with both of the two parties. So intercessor is a position. It's not just prayer. And like I said, don't misunderstand me. There is a prayer of intercession, and that's when we pray for the lost. But the Holy Ghost has to give that to you in order for, for intercession to be made. There's uh, a couple of times in the uh, New Testament, it says Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father where he maketh intercession for us daily. A lot of people think Jesus is praying for us. Well, what's he praying about? I thought the reason he's seated at the right hand of the Father is because the work was finished. If the work's finished, he doesn't have anything to pray about. So how is he making intercession for us? Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father God as eternal proof that we've been joined together with God through his blood. It's the position. Now the intercessor, the work of the intercessor here that it speaks of in the Holy Ghost or uh, the work of the Holy Ghost, that work is the presence of God that is always a reminder a constant reminder that the life of God dwells in us. It's a constant reminder. The Bible says, if the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, he shall quicken your mortal bodies. How are we joined together with God? We talk about Jesus living in our heart, but that's just a figure of speech, just a, figure of, a figurative term. Because Jesus has a flesh and bone body now. How can a flesh and bone body live in the hearts of each one of us? Well, he can only do that by the Spirit. You may remember in John chapter 20, after the disciples witnessed the crucifixion of Jesus, it says that they're huddled up behind closed doors, and Jesus appears to them. And he breathes on them and says, Receive you the Holy Spirit. Now, folks, if Jesus, if you put yourself in that position, 
if Jesus said something to you to receive something, wouldn't you expect to get it? If Jesus said to a blind man, receive your sight, the blind man would expect to see. So when Jesus says, receive the Holy Spirit, they're expecting to have something. And in fact, this town of mirrors or has great similarity to the creation of man in the beginning anyway. It says, in the beginning, God formed Adam from the dust of the earth, and then he breathed in him the breath of life. He made his body and then breathed into him what was that life? What was the life that he breathed into him, if not the Holy Spirit? So in the same way, now the disciples, to, in order to be born again, experience the same, uh, same principle where Jesus says, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, if you go on reading in John chapter 20, it tells about Thomas, who wasn't there with the rest of them. And he said, when the disciples told him they'd seen Jesus alive, he said, if I can't see the print of the nail in his hands and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. Well, a couple of days later, Jesus appears and says, Thomas, here I am. Put your hands in the, the nail holes, thrust your hand into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answers, my Lord and my God. Now, Jesus says some things to him. He said, you believe because you've seen. But the real blessing is to believe when you haven't seen. But here's the point that I wanted to make. The Bible says in Romans chapter 10 that the qualifications for salvation are very simple. They are simply that we must believe that God raised Jesus from the dead. That would imply that we must believe that he died on the cross for our sins. That he ministered here on the earth to identify himself as the Messiah that he died on the cross but the Bible says the way Paul said it in Romans chapter 9 is that if we believe that God raised Jesus from the dead number one and number two confess him as Lord we shall be saved well we get the impression from John chapter 20 that just as Thomas after having seen Jesus calls him Lord we know that he believes that he's alive because he's standing right in front of him same thing would have been true for the other apostles the first time that Jesus appeared. They saw him, so they must believe that he's alive. They recognize him as Lord and Savior, and so they're born again. That born-again experience changes them. It changes them. In fact, why don't you turn with me to uh, Luke chapter 24. Luke chapter 24, let's start in verse 50. It says, And he led them out as far as to Bethany, and he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And it came to pass that while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they were continually, notice verse 53, they were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Well, what changed these guys? John chapter 20 says they were huddled up behind closed doors. It says they were assembled behind those closed doors for fear of the Jews. Well, the Jews are going to be in the temple, aren't they? Now, instead of trying to stay away from them, they're right there out in front of, of everybody, worshiping and praising God. There's a joy that came into their hearts that they didn't have before. There's a boldness that's upon them that they didn't have before. Something changed. 
Well, what changed them? It came as a result of Jesus saying, Jesus breathing on them and saying, Receive ye the Holy Spirit. So we see the work of the Holy Spirit in them. But then he says to them in Acts chapter 1. In fact, why don't you look at Acts chapter 1. Luke was the writer of this that we just read, the gospel that bears his name. But he's also the, the author of the book of Acts. Notice in Acts chapter 1, we'll start reading in verse 1. The former treatise have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. He's talking about his gospel, the gospel of Luke. Until the day in which he was taken up, after that he through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion, meaning the crucifixion and all the events surrounding that. To whom also he showed himself alive after his passion, by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God, and being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which, saith he, you have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost, not many days hence. This is the same group that he just breathed on days and few weeks earlier. And said, receive the Holy Ghost. Now he says, wait for the Holy Ghost. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence or from now. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? And he said unto them, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own power. But you shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and Judea and in Samaria, and under the uttermost part of the earth. Now notice the difference in this. We see the work of the Holy Ghost when Jesus breathed on them that changed them. It changed their character. It changed their way of life. It changed them from the inside out. But that's not all there was to the Holy Ghost. That's not all there is to the Holy Ghost. Jesus said, now wait for power. You shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Remember how Jesus said it in John's Gospel? He said, he dwelleth in you, and he shall be with you, and dwelleth in you. It's a dual working of the Holy Spirit. It's a twofold purpose of the Holy Spirit. Now, let's go back to John chapter 16. We didn't finish with that uh, marvelous definition of the paraclete. We covered a few of them from the Amplified. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another comforter, counselor. We've already made the point, if God doesn't want you, to always have direction and know what to do, why would he give you a counselor? He wouldn't give you a counselor to keep you in the dark, would he? See, a lot of times people run around the world looking for counsel from other people. But the best counsel you'll ever get is from the Holy Ghost. You learn to let the Holy Ghost be your counselor. Be the one that gives direction to your life. You'll come out way ahead in every respect. Helper, we talked about that. Why would God want you to have a helper unless he wants you to succeed? We certainly wouldn't need help to fail. We've handled that and figured that out pretty well on our own. Intercessor. The presence of the Holy Ghost. And remember, the Bible says we've received the first fruits of our inheritance. We've received the first fruits of our inheritance. It says the Holy Ghost is the first fruits of our inheritance. There's more for us to attain. There's coming a day when we'll receive redeemed bodies. And be caught up into heaven to spend eternity with our Father. 
So that intercessor, that presence of the Holy Ghost, ought to be, he should be so real on the inside of us that there's never even a question, not even a hint of a question of whether or not we're saved or whether or not God loves us or whether or not God's for us. He's our intercessor. Again, that has to do with the position. His position in you joins you to the king of the universe. The next, that, uh, paraclete, next thing the paraclete means is advocate. Now, an advocate's a lawyer. Now, we, I think it is worth taking a moment or two to, to think this through and consider this. You don't need a lawyer with God. You don't have to try to talk God into giving you what he's already done in Jesus Christ. What Jesus has already paid for is yours. But we know that the devil is the accuser of the brethren. We know that he'll take every opportunity to try to bring you under condemnation. But the advocate, the lawyer, works in the legal realm. And so when the Bible says that the, the Holy Ghost is our advocate, it very, mean, very simply means that God is on our side with us in the court of heaven as proof, as the identifier that there's no condemnation unto us because we're in Christ Jesus. In other words, your advocate, the work of the Holy Ghost as the advocate, is to remove you from the sense of guilt and condemnation that the devil wants to try to put on you and keep you in. You know, folks, not feeling worthy or the feeling of unworthiness has got to be one of the greatest reasons why most of the church doesn't walk in the things that Jesus has already paid for. One of the great tragedies is when the church is going to be caught up into heaven and believers from every corner of the earth are going to see what they didn't take advantage of, what they forfeited, that was theirs all the time. Well, the advocate is there, not trying to convince God to do anything, not trying to convince the devil of who we are, but trying to convince us of who we are. To bring the word to our remembrance, to testify of Jesus within our own hearts so that we walk in the fullness of everything that Jesus purchased. Paul said it this way, talking to the, to the uh, Hebrews, I believe. He said, what a tragedy, what a shame it would be to neglect so great a salvation is what we've been given. The greatness of the salvation has to do with freedom and deliverance in every respect. So here's the paraclete, the comforter, that's our advocate. The next thing it says is that the comforter is our strengthener. Now, why would God want you to have a strengthener if he didn't want you to be strong? See, these are things the Holy Ghost is going to lead us into. He'll guide us into all truth, Jesus went on to say. He'll guide us into all reality. He'll guide us into the reality of the things that we have attained and been given through the finished work of Jesus. These are things and these are positions that God wants us to take. And he's given us a divine helper to do it. The last of the definitions of the word paraclete is standby. We've got the power of the Holy Ghost always standing by. He's ready to help us. He's ready to put us over. He's ready to deliver us. He's ready to show us how to walk in freedom. And this is the work of the Holy Ghost in you. So, even as Jesus said... I'll pray the Father and he'll give you another comforter. 
even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not neither knoweth him but you know him for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you again the tool working of the Holy Spirit he shall be in you he shall dwell with you and he shall be in you so Paul reveals to us two lists of nine one having to do with the work of the Holy Ghost in us the other having to do with the work of the Holy Ghost upon us or with us Galatians chapter 5 talks about the fruit of the Spirit he said, walk in the Spirit and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And then he gives us a list of nine different characteristics, nine different things that should be incorporated into our lives in ever-increasing measures. That list of nine things that we should attain to is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness. King James says faith, but it's really the word faithfulness. Lost my place. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, and temperance. Against such there is no law. So those are characteristics that we should be ever developing in our, from within us. These are characteristics that Jesus himself demonstrated when he ministered here on the earth. And we should follow his example. And that's the spirit dwelling in us. But we have another list of nine that we've been looking at for the last few weeks having to do with the power of the Spirit that came upon the church at the day of Pentecost. Three revelation gifts, three power gifts, and three utterance gifts. The gifts are manifestations of revelation, or word of wisdom, word of knowledge, and discerning of spirits. The three power gifts are working of miracles, special faith, and there's another one. Which one am I leaving out? Gifts of healings. That's it. Gifts of healings. Thank you. And then there's three utterance gifts. Prophecy, tongues, and interpretation of tongues. And these lists of nine things that, the, that Jesus, uh, that Paul tells us that the Holy Ghost will manifest with us by dwelling with us or upon us. These by and large are for service to other people. However, when Paul tells us about the Holy Ghost and remember it's him that said, he was the one that said that he didn't want us to be ignorant. And it's, since he's speaking by the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, it's the Holy Ghost telling us he doesn't want us to be ignorant about his works. We have to recognize that the Holy Ghost is the same in us as he is upon us. He's not twins. There's not one spirit that's in us and another spirit that's with us. It's all the Holy Ghost. It's all the work of the Holy Ghost. Now turn with me to chapter 15 of John. Notice, well, where do we want to start? How about let's start in verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit, so shall you be my disciples. Now, I want you to notice he's talking about getting answers from God. When he says, you shall ask, this word ask, we've talked about this word a lot, and it's something that you should remember and recognize whenever you see these verses. This word ask does not mean to request. It means to call for. It means to require. It means to place a demand on. 
Now, some people that have got something stuck in their craw anyway will say that we're being arrogant by even considering or thinking that we can make a demand on God. Well, it's not really making a demand on God, folks. It's making a demand on his word. Bank checks used to say, pay to the demand of. And when you and I write a check, we're placing a demand. We're making a requirement according to the terms of the, of the account that we opened. We're making a, de a demand on the bank to pay to the order of whoever it is we're writing the check to, whoever we need to pay the money to. It doesn't have anything to do with attitude. It doesn't matter what your attitude or your feelings are about writing the check. You may be writing a check to the government to pay your taxes. Well, you're making a demand on your checking account. It doesn't matter what you feel about it. The government doesn't care if you don't like it. They just want the money. So it has nothing to do with arrogance. It has nothing to do with any kind of feelings whatsoever. It simply has to do with operating according to the rights, or in this case, talking about the checking account, the terms of the account that we opened. Well, what kind of account do we have in Jesus' name? The Bible says we can have anything that we want. Whatever we call for, whatever we require. If you abide in me and my word abides in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be done unto you. Here's the kicker, verse 8, is my father glorified. God is glorified when you make a demand on your rights and privileges in Christ Jesus. He's not put off. He doesn't shake his head and say, well, those arrogant children, maybe someday they'll grow up. The Bible says God's glorified when we place a demand on what Jesus paid for. When we operate according to our rights and privileges as children of God, that glorifies God. Now, it goes down a little bit further. I want you to see verse 16. Jesus says, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever you shall ask, same word, call for, require, demand, whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Now notice that. It says that God has called us to bear fruit and not just to bear fruit, but to bear fruit that lasts, eternal fruit. Now that eternal fruit can be defined by a lot of different measures and, and in a lot of different ways. But one thing that we know that it has to mean is what he just said in verses 7 and 8. If you abide in me and my word abides in you, you shall call for, you shall require, you shall make a demand on whatsoever you will and it shall be done. That doesn't sound like God's put off on anything, does it? Sounds like he's glorified. Sounds like he's pleased. When we make a demand on what's ours in the name of Jesus. Now that presupposes you're going to have to know what, you, what belongs to you. And that's certainly pleasing to God as well. But Jesus again goes so far as to say herein is my father glorified. God is blessed. He's glorified. It shows him as the God of the universe and you as his child. When we make a demand on the rights and privileges that belong to us because of Jesus' sacrifice and what he paid for. Herein is my Father glorified. Herein is my Father glorified. Now notice that has got to be part of the fruit Jesus is speaking of in verse 16. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain that whatsoever you shall ask, call for, require, demand of the Father in my name, he may give it to you. 
Now, folks, let's put these things together. If we know that God wants us to make a demand on the rights and privileges that have been granted unto us by the sacrifice of Jesus, the shedding of his blood and his resurrection, of course, if that glorifies God and he wants us to bring forth lasting fruit, everlasting fruit, that when we talk about the Holy Ghost being our helper, he'd have to be our helper in prayer, wouldn't he? The Holy Ghost would have to be our helper in guiding us into all reality. Turn with me to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Let's look at verse 26. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth. He's our helper. Here's one of the ways he helps us. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Let's take this apart a little bit. The word infirmities means weakness. It doesn't mean sickness. It means weakness. So he says, likewise, the Spirit helpeth our infirmities. He's talking about an area that we are weak. Well, what area are we weak in? He's not talking about we're weak because we don't know the, the Bible. He doesn't talk, he's not talking about being weak because of a lack of knowledge. He says we're weak because we don't always know what to pray for as we ought. Now, we may know what to pray for in some respects. But the Holy Spirit, who shows us things to come, will help us to know what to pray or to give us utterance to pray about things that we don't know. Let's read it again. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself maketh intercession for us. Let's talk about the intercession part. Now, the intercession, again, can be prayer. We know that there is a prayer of intercession. But here again, it's talking about the position of the Holy Spirit, not the praying of the Holy Spirit. See, when the Holy Spirit was poured out on the day of Pentecost and all the 120 spilled out into the streets and they were speaking in other tongues, a lot of things that hold, uh, one of the reasons that holds people back from receiving the Holy Spirit is that they think, and I, I fall into this category too, this was wrong thinking on my part in the, in the beginning. But a lot of people think that the Holy Spirit is the one talking in tongues. And so when I first tried to receive the Holy Spirit, I just opened my mouth and didn't make any noise, didn't do anything, just waited for some sounds to come out of my mouth. But then I, through studying and reading different materials, I came across what Brother Hagin said about it. Acts 2.4 says, And they were all filled with the Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. It says they were the ones that were filled and they were the ones that spoke. See, the supernatural part is not who does the talking. You pray in tongues. The Holy Ghost does not pray in tongues. It's you and I that needs divine communication with God. It's you and I that do the speaking in other tongues. Well, what's the supernatural part? The supernatural part is the what that's being said. The utterance that's given to us. See, the Holy Ghost job is to give us utterance. Our job is to speak. So here where it says the Spirit is our intercessor, it's saying it joins us together with the knowledge and the wisdom and revelation of God in things that our minds don't know by giving us utterance. King James says groanings which cannot be uttered. Which cannot be uttered literally means inarticulate speech. The word groanings is a difficult word, and I'm not sure the translators really helped us there, 
because that word kind of freaks people out if they don't know what it means. P.C. Nelson said the simplest way to define that word groanings is God talk. That's what the words really mean. With groanings which cannot be uttered, it literally means God talk that cannot be articulated in normal speech. Well, if it's not articulated in our normal speech, how is it articulated? Through other tongues. And this is the way that the Holy Spirit helps us to overcome our infirmities, the, specifically the infirmity of not knowing what to pray for as we ought to. Now, we may know something is going on. We may know something is, some event is taking place or some tragedy has occurred in somebody's life, and so we know we need to pray for them. But we don't know all the ins and outs. We rarely know all the ins and outs of any situation, do we? Unless it's ours. We know what's going on. That's a pretty rare thing. So the Bible's telling us, Paul is telling us, the same Paul that told us by the Holy Ghost that he doesn't want us to be ignorant of spiritual things or things pertaining to the Holy Ghost. He said, here's a word spirit that we need to take advantage of. It reminds me of what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. It's about verse 13 or 14. He said, what is it then? I will pray with the spirit and I will pray with the understanding also. See, we do, we're the ones that decide when we're going to pray. We're the ones that decide how we're going to pray. We decide whether or not we're going to pray with our understanding. Certainly that's limited if we're praying for somebody else because we don't have a whole lot of understanding about the ins and outs of their situation. But we may know a little bit. We may be able to start that way. So Paul said, I will pray with the Spirit and I will pray with the understanding also. We decide to pray in the Spirit or pray in other tongues just as real, just as definitively as we choose to pray in a, in, uh, with our understanding. Now, you and I both know that we could start and stop praying in English anytime we want to, right? Well, Paul says you can do the same thing in other tongues. And speaking in tongues or praying in tongues is a faith proposition. You're trusting the Holy Ghost every time you open your mouth to give you utterance. It doesn't come from you. It doesn't come from your mind. It comes directly from the Holy Spirit through your spirit. We become accustomed to it, so we don't think too much. Well, I hope we come, become accustomed to it. We need to become accustomed to it. So that we are so accustomed and so used to what's going on, we might take it for granted, but it's good to remind ourselves of just how supernatural it is. Every time we open our mouths to speak in other tongues, the Holy Ghost gives us utterance because he's our helper. He's our helper. The very ability... To speak in tongues at our own will is proof that God is with us. It's proof that God's strength and stand by. His power for whatever we need, his wisdom for whatever we need is right there. And the more we operate that way, the more we speak in other tongues, the more God can use us, the more accustomed we become to being used, and the more he'll let us in through fellowship that he'll let us in on things that are going on that we didn't know about. It's been about 20 years ago, I guess. But there was a Wednesday morning that I came to the office. And um, I started going through my normal routines, taking care of stuff that I needed to do. But I had an urge to pray. It wasn't a super strong urge. It was just, a, just something on the inside. So I, I kind of shoved it off, put it on the shelf and said, okay, well, I'm going to take care of these things first and I'll pray a little bit later. But that wasn't good enough. There was 
my, there was a greater urgency in my heart than that. So I still had other things to do. So I just began praying in other tongues while I was taking care of the other things. Most things that I had to do didn't need my full attention anyway. So I was able to just speak in tongues while I was uh, doing the other things. And this went on and on and on. And the longer it went, the more urgent it became. So at about 12.45, I'd been in the office for almost four hours, I guess. Three and a half to four hours, maybe. At 12.45, I had quit doing anything else and had devoted myself to praying in other tongues. It wasn't like I was on my knees over in the corner or anything like that. I was still taking care of other things that needed to be done as I was able. But I was giving more and more attention to the prayer, to praying. And at 12.45... I just hollered out. I was in my office by myself. I was just in my, uh, when I was in my office at 1245 that day, I just screamed out, stop. And when I did, everything lifted. I thought I'd grieve the Holy Ghost. I, I didn't mean for him to stop. And I was kind of perplexed about it because the burden to pray was gone. Just lifted like a bird would fly away from the windowsill. It was just gone. It had been there all day. And now it was gone. I tried to get it back. I thought I'd done something wrong. And so I tried to get it back. Never did get it back. Well, we had service on Wednesday night, as we have for many years. And so I went to service, went to church, preached or taught whatever message I had. And then after the service, there was a lady that was part of a church and had been part of our church for a long time. Came up to me and said, Pastor Mike, I've got to tell you what happened. I said, okay, what happened? She said, I was doing some shopping, running some errands, and I was in the parking lot. She told me what store she went to, and I was in the parking lot having gotten all my goodies, and the bags were in the trunk or whatever she did with them. She said, I, was, I got back in the car, started the car up, had to do a couple of things before she left the parking lot, put the car in reverse, and started backing out. Now, this was before anybody had backup cameras and stuff like that with their cars. So she did what you're supposed to do as a safe driver. She turned and looked behind her, didn't see anybody behind her. And so she started pulling out real slow. And all of a sudden, she said, I heard something stay, say, stop. She said, I jammed on the brakes, put the car in park, thinking, what in the world is going on? Well, by the time she got the car in park and started coming out of her, uh, getting out of the car, there was a, a, a woman that came running from several cars over, screaming her head off, just absolutely going berserk. And what had happened is she was putting some of her kids in the car, and another one of her kids worked his way out behind this, uh, our church member's car. If she hadn't stopped, this was seconds and inches away from running over this child. Now, folks, your life flashes before your eyes at times like that. And you could well imagine that, that if the worst that had happened there, the child been run over, maybe killed, look at the lives that would have been devastated at that. Well, when she said she heard the word stop, she said, I don't know what it was. She said, I'm sure it was God doing it. But she said, I, I, it, it scared me so much. It was so loud and it was so strong. It scared me so much that I, I immediately braked the car, put my brake on and, and put it in park, stop moving. I asked her when it was. And it was at 12.45. Likewise, the Spirit helpeth us 
with our infirmities because we don't know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself make his intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now, I don't know how it worked, but I know she heard stop at the same time I yelled stop. Now, how would you go about praying for something like that without the help of the Holy Ghost? It'd be impossible. I could say a general prayer, Lord, bless and keep and provide safety for all the people of my church. But it seems to me that the urgency that I had to pray and the fact that the urge stayed there for several hours took a little bit more than just praying a general prayer of blessing and safety upon everybody else. You see the point? See, if the Holy Ghost is going to help you anywhere, he's going to help you in prayer. If the Holy Ghost is going to help you in anything, he's going to help you to take hold of the things that belong to you through the finished work of Jesus. If the Holy Ghost is going to help you anywhere, he's going to help you to be who God has made you to be. The idea that we can't live up to what God has demanded on us and placed in front of us is ridiculous. We've got a member of the Godhead to help us. You can be, you can receive, you can operate in anything and everything that God is destined for you to have. Because you've got the help of the Holy Ghost. And he's always there to be our guide. Amen. Thank God for the comforter. Thank God for the comforter. Jesus told his disciples on that last night that he was with, was with them. He said, it's better for you that I go away. He said, if I don't go away, the comforter can't come. Now, folks, the disciples, after having been with Jesus for three years, the disciples thought that their world was coming apart, and in one way it was. And it was all because Jesus was leaving to go back to the Father. They didn't want that. They wanted Jesus to stay there and keep, let's keep doing this stuff like we're doing. The miracles, the healings, look at all the things that are happening. Jesus said, Jesus said it's better for you that I go away so that the comforter, comforter can come. It's better for you. To be in the position you are right now as a child of God with the Holy Ghost dwelling in you and with you. It's better for you than to have lived in Jesus' day and walked around and watched him for three years. Look how many Christians think just the opposite though. Oh, if only I could have lived in Jesus' day. You're living in a better day than his was. You're living in a day when we've got the comforter, the helper, the strengthener, the standby, the advocate the intercessor. He's there to help you in all of those respects, but we have to put a demand on it. It's not just going to fall on us like ripe cherries off a tree, as someone once said. It's only as we place a demand on these things. That's when it comes to pass. Let's pray. Father, we love you, and we thank you so much for the Holy Ghost. We thank you for having given him to us to recreate our human spirits, to bring us into the family of God. We thank you that he dwells with us and that he manifests himself in revelation and in power and in utterance. We thank you, Father, specifically and especially for the help of the Holy Spirit in prayer. Now, Holy Spirit, we're going to become more aware of your presence in us and your help 
for us. We're going to begin to rely on you in greater measure to lead us into the things of God that are ours, to lead us into that place in prayer where we can be a help and an aid to others in much greater measure than we are presently. Holy Spirit, we allow you to guide us. We seek your counsel in things that we don't know what to do. We seek your help in putting us over and leading us into victory. We seek your strength to enable us to stand strong and be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. We count on you, Holy Spirit, to reveal to us the things that we need to know, to show us things to come so we can be prepared to testify of Jesus and to guide us into all reality. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for your great plan of redemption. It's such an honor to be filled with your Spirit, Lord, and to operate according to his, his will, his plan, his direction. We thank you for these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, God bless you. Thank you for being with us.